Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Well, since about the middle of February or so thereabouts, we've been uh, preparing ourselves, looking forward to Easter by making our way through uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, this passage of Scripture that walks through all, a number of examples from the Old Testament of people who walked in faith before God. And what we've seen throughout this series is none of these people were in themselves perfect, but when we take all of these stories together sort of as a whole, what we do is we see how God worked in their lives and how they responded to who God is and what He had called them to do, we see a sort of mosaic start to form as far as what it looks like to, to walk in faith with God. And, and the author of Hebrews weaves these stories together to show us what it looks like to trust in God above all else. Uh, more than we trust in ourselves, our wealth, our own success, our legacy that we leave behind, anything else like that. And if you've been here over the course of this series, you've heard me say probably more than once, that this book, the book of Hebrews, was written to people who are weary. People who still believe in Jesus, but have experienced difficulties in life, and they're starting to wonder if, if, all, if following Jesus is everything it's cracked up to be, wondering if maybe, maybe it's not Jesus isn't enough, wondering if maybe they just need to ease up a little bit on Jesus, if they need to go back to what they knew before they knew him, wondering if Jesus can be trusted. This chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, is written to people who are tired, People who might be like some of us in this room this morning, wondering uh, if Jesus is enough. And the author of Hebrews makes the case to us that our, the solution to our spiritual weariness is not to find something else aside from Jesus or something else in addition to Jesus. Our solution is to recenter ourselves into what our faith is actually in. The book of Hebrews wants its readers, you and me as well, to look back at these stories from the Old Testament and see portraits of what it looks like to trust in God so that we might then be able to look at the world around us and have a framework of what it looks like to trust in God where we are so that we would be people who trust in God and God alone. That's been the aim of this chapter as a whole as we've looked at it. And that focus, that aim, takes us in a very specific direction. And if you've been here, you've heard me say as well that faith can be one of those vague words that we don't define all that well. And when we don't define it well, we run the risk of draining it of all of its meaning. And the best way we can define faith well and be people who live from a firm foundation of faith is to remind ourselves of who our faith is in. Faith makes no sense just on its own. Faith has to be in something. Uh, Faith for faith's sake, faith with no end goal in mind, is not a faith that is worth having. Uh, Maybe you've heard the term thrown around before watching the news or something like that, that some sort of public figure is a person of faith. And we don't have, it's not worth our time to unpack that term this morning, but, but that term does strike me as a little bit strange because it doesn't really mean anything on its own. I mean, maybe it means that we should expect that person to be nicer than the average person because they have faith in something, apparently. But, but if faith isn't in something, it, it doesn't tell us a whole lot. You can be a person who has faith in all sorts of things, but if the thing your faith is in cannot be trusted, 
then it's not a faith worth having. No matter how strong your faith is, if the, per- the thing you're putting your faith in isn't faithful, it doesn't really matter. It would be a little bit like being a person of traveling, but in all your traveling, you never have a destination in mind. The whole point of traveling is to go somewhere most of the time, and the whole point of having faith is that we would have something or someone that our faith is in who is faithful, who can be trusted no matter what our life circumstances might be. And that's what all the ground we've covered over the course of Hebrews chapter 11 has been building towards. Uh, This chapter is calling us to be people who put our faith in Jesus because Jesus is always faithful. We can and we should trust in Jesus because Jesus can always be trusted. And I can say that Jesus can always be trusted because of the truth that we celebrate every time we gather together, but what we especially celebrate today, that Jesus is raised from the dead. Our faith is a resurrected faith. That's what I want you to get out of this morning. If you don't get anything else, I'm not calling you to trust in yourself. I'm not calling you to put together a self-help plan to make yourself a better person. I'm not calling you to trust in me. I'm not calling you to trust in the people around you because they are imperfect just like you are. No offense to anyone sitting around you right now. I'm calling you to trust in Jesus. You're an imperfect person. I'm an imperfect person. The, person, the people you rode in the car here with this morning or are sitting next to right now are imperfect people. But the only one who is perfect in every way and therefore can be trusted no matter what, is Jesus. And the reason I am able to say that is because he is alive today, just as he was on that first Easter Sunday. So let's read our text for this morning and see how the author of Hebrews builds all the stories we've been looking at over the course of this series into into a crescendo. Picking up in Hebrews 11 at verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn, sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Uh, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Like any decent preacher, the author of Hebrews is able to recognize when he's been going on for too long and needs to wrap things up. You can see that there at the beginning of this passage. And so he briefly refers to all of these other examples that he could trot out as people of great faith. And you might have noticed as we were reading these verses uh, that the examples that he lists really break down into two halves. Uh, The first half gives us what we might call people who had faith in the good times. People who trusted in God and saw life go well for them as a result. And then the second half that is listed gives us examples of people who have faith in what we might call the bad times. 
people who trusted in God even when life didn't go well for them. And we'll come back to both of those here in just a few moments. But before we do that, I want to reflect on what this passage as a whole says about faith. The pastor John Mark Comer says that faith is living as if something you believe is true. We've talked over the course of this series how the stories referred to in this chapter, they keep calling us to see that faith involves action. Not in the sense that faith in God requires us to do things to keep God happy, but in the sense that our faith in God calls us to respond, to live in light of what we believe, to live as if the truths we proclaim about Jesus when we are in this building are also true when we are outside of this building, because they are. That's what we've seen time and time again in this series. Because we, as followers of Jesus today, experience the full realization of the faith that these figures from the Old Testament were looking forward to. Whether we've noticed it or not, every single story we've looked at over the course of this series has ultimately stopped short. No matter how great any individual we've looked at has been, no matter how much they accomplished during their life, they died without seeing the full realization of of their faith. Every figure we've looked at in this series was looking forward to when the Son of God would arrive and when the promises of God would be made complete and his people could dwell in full relationship with God again. They were looking forward to what we now experience as people living after the resurrection of Jesus. And so if their faith before the coming of Jesus enabled them to endure through good times and bad, then surely we, living as people after Jesus' resurrection, can also endure through good times and bad because our faith is in that same God. And because our faith is in that same God, we too can experience that same sort of sustaining power from Him through good times and bad, just like the people that are highlighted in this passage. This passage runs through at the beginning. There are a list of names of people we'd recognize if we've read the Old Testament, people who do great things for God and for His people. We're told about Gideon who leads an army of 300 men who are armed with nothing but trumpets, torches, and jars to victory over an army of 135,000. We're told about him in Judges 6 to 8. We're told about Barak, who helps lead Israel to victory over an enemy army, that, an enemy army far stronger than Israel in Judges 4 and 5. We're told about Samson, whose life is covered in Judges 13 to 16, who God works through in powerful ways to defeat the Philistines. We're we're told about Jephthah, who leads Israel to victory in Judges 10 and 11. We're told about uh, David, the man after God's own heart, who rules as a king over God's people. We're told about Samuel, the leader of God's people, who anoints the first two kings of the nation. And just in that one verse, we run through these six different people who trust in God and experience victory as they lead the people to uh, success. And the text continues beyond those specific names to speak more broadly about other examples of victory in light of faith in God. Scripture is littered with examples of people who trusted in God and experienced victory, whether that was victory in battle or wisdom and how they led the people God entrusted to them, whether it was them seeing God deliver on his promises, whether it was them experiencing miracles or uh, being delivered from, uh, from certain death and destruction, being, uh, escaping from enemies who are trying to strike them with swords, who are being raised from the dead. We can find all sorts of stories of God showing up to save his people, demonstrating his power, his glory over any and all forces that might try to align themselves against him. 
so that the whole world might know that the Lord is God and God alone. And this sounds pretty good to this point. Uh, all these people trust in God. The result is that they experience God's victory. And what that shows us is that when life is going well, faith reminds us of the source of our success. When we experience victory in life, being people of faith, being people grounded in faith in the resurrected Jesus keeps us from slipping into assuming that success is because of us, because of how great we are, because of all of our talents and abilities, that we deserve this, that we're worthy of all of this. Because every good thing we have comes from our good God who invites us to participate in life with him. And it might be nice if we could stop at that point. Life could be this, if we just stopped with everything I've said so far about this passage, life could be this nice little equation that when you do good things, good things happen to you. People who trust in God always experience success and victory, and it's not more complicated than that, and yet, unfortunately, it is. Uh, looking at these stories a little more closely, even the ones that we've just referred to, shows us that these people are not perfect. When we read the book of Judges, Gideon seems more concerned with himself as opposed to God's purposes the longer the story goes on. Uh, Barak isn't even the main character of Judges 4 and 5 because he's too scared to go into battle without the prophetess Deborah by his side. Samson's main motivation through his entire life seems to be pretty consistently his own glory as opposed to the glory of God. Jephthah misunderstands who God is so drastically that he offers one of his own children as a sacrifice because he thinks that's what he has to do to get God on his side. David's guilty of murder and adultery and the, and the ripple effects of that sin reverberate down his family tree for generations. Samuel uh, doesn't appear to be too much of a father. He spends so much time leading the people, teaching them how to love God, that he forgets to teach his own sons the same lessons. So all those examples tell us that things must not be so simple that good people do good things and then good things happen to them. The people mentioned here are not perfect, and yet God blesses them. God allows good things to happen to bad people. God gives victory to people who don't seem all that deserving of it. God shows grace. As he invites imperfect people into his purposes, and he works in and through them just as he does today. Uh, maybe you're sitting here uh, this morning wondering why your story doesn't sound like one of victory. I mean, if the Bible's so full of people trusting in God and then good things happen to them, then why hasn't life worked out that way for me? If good things happen to people with faith and I have faith, then why did they walk out? Why are we going to have an empty seat at the table this afternoon? Why are finances so tight? And as much as we would like for life to be so simple that just having more faith makes life go better for us, anyone who has lived in this world more than a few minutes knows that that's not the case. We live in a broken world. And for that reason, we need a faith that is stronger, that is more robust than a simple transactional faith that says you do good things and then God gives you good things as a result. If God works through grace, giving good things to people who are not deserving of them, then that also means that whether or not we experience victory or success has nothing to do with how good of a person we are. Faith is our foundation when life is going well and when it is not. And this passage doesn't shy away from either side of that equation. 
If you're listening to me this morning and the last week has been the greatest week of your life or the worst seven days you can ever remember, the truth remains the same, that faith is our foundation in good and bad because our faith is in the resurrected Jesus. That's what we see when we read this passage as a whole. Now, like I've said before, you've heard me say that the chapter and verse divisions in our Bibles weren't put there by the authors of Scripture, and yet I think there's a lot of wisdom in where the verse division is in this passage, if you'll allow me for a second, because I think it makes a lot of sense uh, that this, the argument of these verses transitions from the good to the bad right in the middle of verse 35. Because you could imagine that if, if the verses were split up to where all the good news is up through verse 35 and then starting with verse 36, it's bad news the rest of the way, we would stop reading at verse 35. And yet this passage won't let us off the hook that easily. And life won't either. Our faith in God covers every area of life, the good and the bad, when life goes our way and when it doesn't. And we see that in the second half of this passage. We don't get any specific names in the second half like we do in the first half, but we, we continue to see examples of faith, only the result is different. For all the people referred to in this second half, their faith in God did not make life better in the short term. In fact, we can make the case that, that their faith in God made life worse. Their faith in God didn't lead to victory, it led to defeat. Their faith didn't lead to glory, it led to shame. It, their faith didn't lead to success, it led to pain. This text says that because of their faithfulness to God, they experienced torture, they were mocked, they were beaten, they were whipped, they were thrown into prison. They were stoned to death, they were sawn in two, which just sounds like the worst. They were put to death by the sword simply because of their faithfulness to God. Because of their refusal to give him up, even when that faithfulness invited hostility. Others maybe didn't experience physical harm, but were treated as outcasts. They lived in the wilderness. They dressed in the skins of animals instead of the fine materials that come with success in life. Some were cut off from community altogether. They lived in the mountains. They lived in caves. They lived in holes in the ground. They lived in the desert because they trusted in God instead of whatever comforts the world around them told them they needed to put their confidence in instead. And they did not waver in that commitment. Even when that commitment brought with it difficulty, even when the easy way out would be to go with the flow, to not be as vocal about their faith, they resolved that holding on to God was worth it no matter what the result might be. So what do we make of that sort of faith? What what do we make of someone holding on to God even when it might cost them their life? I don't know what your reaction to hearing stories like that might be, but if you notice, the text here has far more positive things to say about this group than it did about the first group. People who experience reward on earth for their faith. There, at the end of verse 35, it says that there were others who were tortured, who were refused, uh, who refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. And then it continues in verse 38. It says, the world was not worthy of these people. You see right there in the, at the beginning. That might not be how our world would immediately react to these stories. I mean, someone dying for a cause they believe in might be seen as noble, depending on what the cause is, but, but someone living in the wilderness, someone living in a cave, someone wearing animal skins for clothing probably just seems pretty strange. 
I mean, we all have family members we don't like talking about, but if you had a family member that lived in a cave and all their clothes were made of sheepskins, you're probably not bringing them up when you're introducing your family to people. And yet this passage looks at these examples, looks at people who trusted in God and continued to trust in Him even when life got more difficult, and proclaims that their faithfulness proved that the world was not worthy of them. The world thought these people were not worthy of them. Uh, Put them to death or cast them out as exiles because they were so naive to believe in God. They were so close-minded to think that he was the only path to salvation. So behind the times to proclaim that God's word was unchanging. And what this text says is that the exact opposite was true. Their faithfulness to God demonstrated that they were focused on things greater than themselves, things that were greater than this life, and they trusted in God no matter what so that they might gain that reward. And in the bad times, faith reminds us that the story is not over. Maybe you're in here this morning and you don't see how the story is going to have a happy ending. Maybe it just feels like things are continuing to get worse and worse and there's no off-ramp, there's no way out. Maybe that sinister monster of addiction won't let you go and you don't even know at this point how many times you've promised that you're never going back to whatever it is that has its hold on you, but it won't let go and it seems like you will never know freedom. Maybe it's a disease for for you or for a loved one and you have prayed and prayed and the news isn't getting any better and you don't see how anything good is going to come on the horizon. Maybe it's your marriage or your kids, and sure, you can fake it well enough when you're in this room for an hour a week, but but things at home are a different story. And you so badly want peace, but it just seems like no matter what happens, there is just always tension. Maybe it's finances, that for whatever reason, each week there's just a little less in the accounts, and you don't know how much longer you're going to be able to keep it up before things dry up completely. Maybe it's work stress, whether it's the stresses of your current job, the stresses of trying to find a new job or a different job, and you just don't see a way of rest. You don't see a way off the seemingly endless treadmill of week in and week out. Maybe it's just worries about the world at large. Worries about how every news headline seems to have bad news, and you don't know what kind of world is going to be left behind for the next generation. I don't know what the bad times look like for each and every one of us specifically, but I can tell you that our story does not end with the bad times. And the reason I can say that is because the story did not end with the bad times for Jesus. Our faith promises future vindication because Jesus was vindicated when God raised him to life and he walked out of the tomb. The fact that Jesus was vindicated means that we will one day be vindicated as well. And that might come in this life. It might not come until we reach the other side of death. But that vindication will come for all God's people because our faith is in the resurrected Jesus who has promised that he will one day resurrect us as well. Whether we are going through the good times or the bad times, our faith in the resurrected Jesus means that we are living in a resurrected time because our faith in Jesus is is a resurrected faith, and Jesus is our foundation. If you notice in these verses, everyone who's mentioned is commended for their faith. Those who were faithful in the good times and in the bad times. 
And yet that isn't all this text says about them. There at the end, in verses 39 and 40, it says the faith of all the people mentioned in these verses, the faith of all the people mentioned in this entire chapter was incomplete. They didn't receive everything God had promised. They were looking forward to when the Son of God would come to make us right with God. They were looking forward to the time we find ourselves in, living in light of the resurrection of Jesus. And that is the foundation of faith today as it always has been. For all the incredible things the characters of Hebrews 11 have experienced, we are experiencing the fulfillment, the fullness of what they were looking towards. And so the call for us as we respond to this text is not to be great people like the people mentioned in this chapter were great people. The call of this chapter is to trust in the God that these people trusted in. Because we have received what they were anticipating. We have received Jesus. The one who came to be faithful when we were faithless so that we might walk in life with him. That's the call at the end of this chapter. The author Elton Trueblood once said that faith is not belief without proof. Faith is trust without reservation. My hope for us as we draw near to the end of this series is that we would experience just that trust without reservation for ourselves. That sort of faith in the resurrected Jesus is a faith that will keep us grounded through all the good or the bad times of life because it brings us into life with our God. If you're trusting in God this morning and life is going well, good for you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We don't go through the good times of life because we're great people, and so we need to keep ourselves grounded by reminding ourselves that God is the one who sustains us as we walk with him day by day. And if you're trusting in God this morning and life is not going well, the call of this passage is the same. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The story is not over. Jesus is still alive today just as much as he was on that first Easter Sunday. So continue to walk with him because he is good and he is near and he will one day deliver you, whether that's in this life or the next when you are fully in his presence. If you're wondering this morning if faith in God is worth it, know that faith calls us to something beyond ourselves. It calls us out of depending on our own abilities, our own strengths, and into life with God, life that he has created us for. Faith calls us out of having to control everything on our own and the anxiety that comes with that of wanting to rule our, our entire lives, the stress of having to save ourselves. It calls us into peace and freedom as we walk with our God. Faith sustains us through all the highs and lows of life, not because of anything great about any one of us, but because our faith is in Jesus and Jesus has conquered death for all time. So... Wherever you are this morning, however you're responding to this text, may we live in faith before him and experience a resurrected faith. Let's pray. Father, we praise you again that Jesus is alive. That for all the stories of faith we have as we look at Scripture, that it is all pointing, it all finds its culmination in your Son, Jesus. We thank you. For the hope that that means for each and every one of us. That no matter what we have gone through, no matter what we have brought with us into this room this morning, Father, that Jesus is alive and therefore we have hope. That, so, Father, we ask that as we respond to this text, that you would help us walk in faith. To take the next step with you wherever that might lead us.
We want to be people of faith, people who walk with you. And we trust that because you are with us in your spirit and because Jesus is alive, we trust that you will meet us as we put our faith in you. So would you give us wisdom, give us strength to respond to you as individuals and as a church family as we walk in faith with you. It's in, your, it's in the name of the resurrected Son of God, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. 